Much like Homer Simpson in the Simpsons movie not wanting to go back to Springfield, Dan Lanning has spoken. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source. Stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, like, comment, and subscribe. Rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you're listening to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. It helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college terms and conditions do indeed apply. Dan Lanning, the roster he's built, things Oregon can improve upon all coming up on today's show. But Lanning had a press conference on Monday, as is our usual arrangement. Of course, I am you know not there, but I see what he says. And here's what he had to say when asked about the Texas A&M rumors. And that's all they are at this point in time. Noise, rumors, there has not actually been anything or anyone credible talking about Dan Lanning going to Texas A&M. Here it is straight from the man himself, quote, I guess the reality here is one, my name and our program would never been a topic of conversation for another school if we didn't have something here that everybody else wanted. And the reason we have something here that everybody else wants is because of what our players, our coaches, the support that exists here in Oregon have created. I think I've been really, really clear here since day one. Everything I want exists right here. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. I've got unfinished business here. There's a lot that I want to accomplish here at Oregon. My number one priority is being elite here in Oregon, and we have the resources, the tools. Anybody that can understand why you would want to be here, this place doesn't understand exactly what exists here, right? And then he went on to talk about uh, his kids and raising his family in Oregon. And, you know, that they've, I think he mentioned that they've moved before as well. And he said, I'm motivated by winning, I'm motivated by being elite here. As someone who uses the word elite quite a bit, I like that from our head coach. So he is making it about as clear as you can. I've got everything I need. I want to accomplish a lot of things here. I'm able to accomplish a lot of things here. And this is where I'd like to be. Now, did I, when, you know, Lanning's name was inevitably tied to Texas A&M, feel confident that Dan Lanning was actually going to, you know, give that a serious look? No. Was it a non-zero possibility? No, I don't think so. We can pretty much put this to bed. That, that's, that's a very definitive statement. A couple lines in particular. I'm not going anywhere. There's zero chance that I would be coaching somewhere else. When you parlay that with the extension and raise that Lanning received before the season, I think Oregon fans can feel pretty confident that Dan Lanning is not going to depart. Remember, last offseason, he was tied to the Auburn job. He made a statement about the grass not always being greener elsewhere, which every Oregon coach that has left Eugene has indeed learned. I think Lanning has seen that. I think he really does want to have a stable place for his wife and kids to be. He's moved seven times, I think, is the number in 13 years. He's bounced around a lot. That's what coaching can be. 
this is his first opportunity to be a head coach. And right now, I do not believe that he's going anywhere based on that statement and the fact that he signed a contract that included a massive buyout and raises his salary to be one of the 15 highest paid coaches in all of college football, which is where we expect him to be as fans, right? Like when you're Oregon's head coach, yeah, you should be a top 10, 15 program in the country. Oregon's currently ranked sixth in the college football playoff rankings. That's unlikely to change in the rankings later tonight. So Lanning making a statement there wanted uh, to start with that. Speaking of Dan Lanning, the roster that this guy has put together along with the rest of his staff. And by the way, speaking of Texas A&M and Oregon's roster, there are a lot of talented recruits on that Texas A&M roster. They're not losing because they don't have enough talent. Okay, that that's an issue that exists at a place like Washington State, for instance. They've got some good players up there in Pullman. They don't have as talented a roster top to bottom as Texas A&M. Okay, everything else is the problem with the Aggies. It's not the talent. And when you think about guys that Oregon was going after, I'm sure there are, there's a little bit of crossover there. Marshall Malcow, if you recall, was the chief of staff or the director of player personnel, whatever his title was, when Texas A&M, Texas A&M pulled in that highest-ranked recruiting class ever a couple of seasons ago. He's Oregon's director of player personnel slash chief of staff, whatever the, the, the title is. Just something to watch. Just something to watch because Dan Lanning has built one heck of a roster here, which leads me to something I love doing every Tuesday here on the show post-Saturday game, and that is Tuesday individual standouts beyond the obvious ones you know that maybe pop up on the box score but maybe not in a flashy way and just people that stood out to me that helped Oregon win and put together a good performance not a great performance against USC but a good one to say the least so I think that when you look at that game number one guy that was kind of under the radar but kind of not individual standout Jordan Birch I think that guy's playing his best football this season recently. He's been good all year. He had a good game against Colorado. He's made an impact elsewhere. Everything a defensive lineman does, it doesn't always show up in the stat sheet. Not always a big box score kind of guy. But Jordan Birch just continues to be an impactful player and an integral part to Oregon's ability to successfully pressure quarterbacks this year. I don't think it's going to show up with crazy stat numbers by the time this season comes to an end, which, you know, hopefully is early January. But again, one week at a time. I think Jordan Birch has been good. And he is emblematic of the roster that Dan Lanning has put together and why Texas A&M message boards would put Lanning as one of the top candidates. The guy can put together a roster. The guy can recruit from the high school ranks, number six class in 2024, and perhaps more commits on the way here in the coming weeks slash months. And he knows what he's doing in the transfer portal. His his record to this point and the staff's record of bringing in transfers is really elite. Jordan Birch, really good player. Evan Williams, good player. Go back to last year. Bo Nix, Christian Gonzalez, Casey Rogers, Justin Jacobs has been good. You just keep going down the list. Dan Lanning and staff know how to acquire talent. Because when I've done these segments every single week, it's a smattering of guys every week. It's not always the same players. Sometimes it is because guys are having really good weeks, week in and week out. But so many different names 
have stood out to me this year. And I, I think the depth of Oregon has been on full display. So Jordan Birch is number one. I thought he was great. And then that aforementioned man, Evan Williams, has the fumble recovery. I think he's gotten much better in coverage as the season has gone on. But he's just a playmaker. He, he, he is just a playmaker. I think stylistically, at least the way that he's most effective, he reminds me of Jamal Adams. You know, on the back end, is he a ball-hawking sort of safety? Eh, not really. Can can do enough. You know, at his best is good but not great when covering on the back end. But, boy, I tell you, he's everywhere in the box. As a blitzer, as a tackler, as a just playmaker, he's got a nose for the football. He's awesome. I, I, I think Evan Williams is probably the best blitzing safety I have seen all season long. He, he is just everywhere. Tackles for loss hitting the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback. He, he's been absolutely fantastic. Let me pull up his, uh, his, his stat numbers real quick because I, I just have been really impressed with the way that this, this defensive coaching staff has, has done a phenomenal job of employing different blitzes throughout the course of the year, and they are successful a lot. So – Evan Williams this year is second on the team to Brandon Dorless with four and a half sacks. That's crazy. That's a crazy number for a defensive back. He had the fumble recovery. He's up to 62 total tackles this year, which is, oh yeah, leading the team for the Ducks. He does have just the one pass breakup, but he's recovered a couple fumbles, five tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. I, I think he's, I think he's been great and was again on uh, Saturday. One more defensive guy and one offensive guy that I thought were like kind of under the radar, right? You might have noticed because, you know, maybe you pay as close attention as I do. You need to be paying attention to Jace Medical, though, because that is where you can get yourself a Jace case. So in today's unsettled world, chaotic, unreliable supply chain issues, whatever, the Jace case is something you should have where you can take care of yourself and your loved ones at home. The Jace case provides five life saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is fill out a simple online form and in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of their board certified physicians. Get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment related questions. Doctor created, doctor recommended. You don't want to be caught unprepared in today's world. You just don't. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Get your Jace case at jacemedical.com and you can get a year supply of any daily medication if it's offered for you. Remember, use promo code locked on for $20 off your purchase at jacemedical.com. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Most of you watching on YouTube are probably noticing. Spencer, you're not in your usual setup. You're most observant every day, Locked On Ducks viewer. Some of you may be noticing. Spencer, it sounds a little bit different. Well, 
I am traveling with the Southern Utah men's basketball team up here in Logan, Utah. I, for those who don't know, I'm the play-by-play voice for the Southern Utah University Thunderbirds, go T-Birds. They play Utah State on Tuesday night, and I brought all my equipment up here to do the show, and I forgot the cable for my regular microphone. So you're going to have to endure this just for two shows, I promise, but that's the way it'd be. I tried to find a solution, wasn't able to track one down. Anyway, back to individual standouts. Jeffrey Bossa. I think Jeffrey Bossa is the best version of himself every single week this year. So against USC, he only had four tackles in a quarterback hurry. But what I'm noticing with Jeffrey Bossa is where he was struggling a year ago, which was in zone coverage and also not getting knocked backwards in the run game. Every time I watch him, do anything just on like a normal play. I never see that happening anymore. An offensive lineman climbs to the second level. He's not knocking Jeffrey Bossa three yards out of the way. That happened routinely last year. He bulked up and he is just the best version of himself. And I I, I, I do not care at all what PFF says. They're not in love with him. I think Jeffrey Boss is a good linebacker. All conference? No, probably not. Not going to put up those sorts of numbers. Jeffrey Boss is a good linebacker. And I I think he just is playing at a high level. I think that the second year in this defensive system has been really good for him. I think his play recognition and understanding and execution of his assignments is so much better than last year. And and he's been phenomenal as a blitzer. He tackles well. He's always been a really good sure tackler. You know, used to be safety. And I I think he's just become a real solid player. I hope he comes back next year because – He's the quarterback of the defense, and he's doing a really good job because this defense is awesome. Last one, my guy. My guy. I have a couple of, you know, guys, so to speak, that I've loved for quite a while here on the show. Terrence Ferguson. Another guy. I hope he comes back next year. I really do. I don't know if that's happening because he just continues to make great catches. I think he does a great job in the run blocking department. I don't think he can run the ball well without good tight ends. Uh, when it comes to blocking, he's just making plays. Like the catch he had against Utah on third down in the corner out, ridiculous. His hands are fantastic. His run after catch is so good. The tight end screen, oh, Will Stein, my man. Chef's kiss. It was magnificent to watch, and I love getting him involved in the offense. So those are my headline individual standouts that you know kind of flew under the radar because, again, Bo Nix. Bucky Irving, Troy Franklin. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Oregon had over 500 yards of offense. Troy Franklin went over 100 yards. Bucky Irving went over 100 yards. And Bo Nix went for four touchdowns and over 400 yards passing. Exactly, right? Like pointing out those things would be so boring, right? Wink for those listening on podcasts. Okay, let's get to the mailbag. YouTube comments or Twitter, or if you want priority mailbag access and you want to become a Locked On Ducks insider, you can join the subtext community, because that is where you get priority mailbag access. You can talk with me one-on-one. I check over there a lot more than I do on, on social media, though I still check there as well. Fear not. It's not like I'm removing that option. If you want to just ask mailbag questions the old-fashioned way, that's a great way to do it. You also get breaking news and reaction and further analysis if you join the Locked on Ducks subtext community. Free 14-day trial plus $5 a month. Appreciate all of you that have already subscribed over there. 
I like to think I'm doing everything I can to make it worth your while. If I'm not, let me know and I'll up the ante. So subtext question here with Thanksgiving, just two weeks away. What three things should Oregon football fans be most thankful for at this time? Sports wise. Mm, great question. I gave this some thought. Here are my three things. Number one, we have a university and a donor in particular in Phil Knight that cares about football and wants to compete at the highest level. I've seen a lot of colleges in this country and there are even power five countries or power five colleges in the United States that are kind of indifferent. Stanford and Cal come to mind. They don't want to be great. They just kind of want to, you know, be there. That's a nice fun thing. Oregon's not like that. Oregon wants to compete at the highest level. Number two, the arrival of Bo Nix and Dan Lanning last year. Have those two guys done anything but continue to give us hope, excitement, and optimism that great things can happen both last year and this year? Nope, not really. I think they've been fantastic. So I like those two guys leading the program right now. And number three, that this staff recruits at a high level and wants to recruit at a high level because that's going to allow Oregon to continue as they go to the Big Ten to compete year after year after year. So those are the three things. University that cares with Uncle Phil in there, of course, Bo Nix and Dan Lanning arriving together last year and the recruiting prowess that gives Oregon the ability to compete year in and year out. Another subtext question. It seems to my untrained eye that first string offensive players play a much greater percentage of the time than first string defensive players. So it seems that depth and the number of players necessary for a strong defense are much greater on the defensive side of the ball. Your thoughts on this and how it affects recruiting in the transfer portal. You do see more defensive recruits from Dan Lanning and company in the 2024 class. I think this is a part of it. I don't think that it's all of it. I think it's also, you know, philosophy driven. If you had an offensive coach, Lincoln Riley, for instance, your top recruits are probably going to be offensive players. But Dan Lanning, your top recruits are going to be defensive players year in and year out. I do agree, though, that for this particular defense, they're rotating guys in a lot because they feel like they have the competitive depth to do so without suffering a talent drop off. And guess what? That's yielding really, really good results. Now, the reason that I don't think you see it as much offensively is because offense is a little bit more chemistry based than defense. Defense is know your assignment, make your play. Offense is a symphony, right? Everything has to be conducted beautifully. The strings and the brass have to know when to go up and when to go down at just the right point in time. And if they don't, then something sounds a little off. And if you're constantly working in a new tuba player or a new trombone player or a new violinist and you're kind of working in and out, everyone might not have that exact same feel in sync with the conductor. Whereas defensively, it's a little bit more akin to a rock band, right? Everybody plays at the same time and hey, you could change guys out. And because of the nature of it, it's a little bit more aggressive. It doesn't make that tiny, you know, tiny changes don't make as big of a difference as often. And then every now and then you just need someone who can perform a really good solo act, right? Whether the great guitarist, you know, plays it really well in B sharp or E minor, those are chords that I made up that may or may not exist, but whether or not those things are there or whether or not it's this way or that way, it doesn't really matter. So that's how I'd uh, compare that. Great question though. Paul asks why the penalties and why are the penalties coming so often and asked if I could do a little bit of a breakdown for him. So 
The most common penalties Oregon has fallen victim to this year, and there were 120 penalty yards on Saturday, which is no bueno. Got to cut that in half, preferably even less than that. You, you really don't want more than 40 penalty yards in a game. I, I think that's you know an acceptable number because you can't play penalty-free football more than like once or twice a season. That's like asking a pro golfer to play bogey-free golf. Okay, it's it's possible if you do everything really well. But 98% of your rounds, 99% of your rounds, you're going to have a bogey in there. You just got to be able to manage. So the most common penalties that Oregon has had this year that I've seen have been pass interference and an ineligible receiver down the field. I think there, there are things that Oregon's, Oregon's team and the players can do in order to mitigate those penalties. And going forward, we'd all really like to see that because when you look, at what Oregon has struggled with this year, it hasn't been offense and it hasn't been defense. It's been penalties in the kicking game, which we're also going to talk about. We're also talking about LinkedIn jobs, obviously, because these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. I think Texas A&M should think about using LinkedIn jobs because you want to be 100% certain you have access to the best qualified candidates available. Are you listening, Texas A&M? LinkedIn Jobs is the answer for you. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps find the right people for your team faster and for free. Go in there and create a free job post in minutes. You know, like Texas A&M, head football coach. We would please like someone who wins at a high level reflective of how we recruit. That's what they're looking for. Go in there, create a free job post, and then add the purple hashtag hiring frame to your profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. There you go. Texas A&M, that's all you need. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All righty. So the two penalties that I see the most from Oregon this year, ineligible man downfield and pass interference. Let's start with the ineligible man downfield. There is going to be an element of this that you can't remove because Will Stein, rather than having, you know, quarterback run, which puts Bo Nix in harm's way, he's not running as much because Oregon's offense is running a lot more RPO, which I am a fan of. This is something, however, that I think is easier to coach out of the players than pass interference because it's a simple concept. When there is an RPO, Oregon offensive lineman or any offensive lineman can't go further than three yards down the field when the pass is thrown, meaning that on those plays, they have to be taught to block never more than three yards down the field. What Oregon's offensive linemen have had trouble with is when Bo Nix extends the play on an RPO, they've tended to just wander. Like Stephen Jones, a Johnny Cornelius, you know, I, I think Marcus Harper's had one or two, but Jones and Cornelius, I think, have been the most consistent guilty parties of this so far in 2023. Y you just have to not wander. And I think that's a really simple thing to work on and coach in practice, although. It's not as simple as I make it sound because it's not like this has only been a problem here against USC or in one particular game. It's been a recurring theme this year. And I can't imagine that the coaching staff isn't seeing what we are all seeing or what I'm talking about in this particular moment. So I don't think it's an easy thing 
to coach. It's not as easy as it sounds, but I think it's easy relative to some other penalty problems. You know, holding is going to happen every now and then, especially when you have a mobile scrambling quarterback like Bo Nix who will make some off-script plays. And I think the ineligible man down the field, in theory, is quite correctable. Oregon's just got to, you know, put in the time to nail it down. The other one, I guess there are two other penalties, really. Pass interference. I think the biggest thing was Oregon in the pass interference department. First of all, that pass interference against Tysheem Johnson was not pass interference. That is a horrific call. I mean, just flat out, no other way to see it. This is a horrible, god-awful call. And that's what officials do. They make mistakes and they make bad calls. That was a bad one. And then Triquez on fourth and nine, clearly pushed off. As in Brendan Rice, pushed Triquez Bridges. No call. Horrible no call. Absolutely horrible. But one of the other issues that Oregon has had problems with this year in the defensive backfield is not getting their heads turned around. If as a defensive back, a ball is thrown to the receiver you are covering, if your head doesn't get around, there's a 95% chance you're either going to allow a completion or get flagged for pass interference. Because if you are face guarding, which you cannot do, and the ball is thrown, the receiver only needs a smidgen of contact. Just, I think, I think I used that word long, just a smidge of contact, just, just a tiny little bit. And the ref is going to want to throw that flag because they are trained according to the rule book. It's not their fault. And it often is the correct call. They are trained that if the defensive back doesn't get his head around and he impedes progress in any way, he's not making a play on the ball, and that's a flag. And 95% of the time, it's either that or a completion, because if you don't get your head around, then the receiver can go up and make a play on the ball. The 5% in there is when the quarterback throws a ball that is not catchable and overthrown. Right? You'd rather underthrow than overthrow a deep ball. Underthrow, pass interference. Overthrow, incomplete. That's how Oregon can work on that. The other one will be a nice segue into the, the final segment of today's show, which is a common penalty for the Ducks has been kicking the ball out of bounds on kickoff. So let's talk about Camden Lewis. I had some I, there, there are some commenters out there who don't love Camden Lewis. I understand it. It's frustrating. I have no faith in him right now. If you say, hey, we need Camden Lewis to hit a 38-yarder for the win. I got no confidence in him right now because that's the evidence that I've gotten recently. I mean, he barely snuck in a 33-yarder, and he missed a 41-yarder bad. And that wasn't even a major pressure kick, though it would have you know, iced the game completely against USC. That's still some pressure. Wasn't close. Was, was not close. So – one person asked, you know, who's Camden Lewis's backup? Camden Lewis is a starting kicker for a reason. Okay? Like, he won the job. He's not the only kicker on the roster. And we have seen him lose the starting kicking job before to someone who was clearly better, Henry Cattleman. And then in the eyes of the coaching staff, Camden Lewis won the job back. In 2021, we can look retroactively at whether or not that was a good idea, but Camden Lewis is the only person on Oregon's roster, I believe, that's ever actually kicked a field goal. Uh, I'm I'm going through the roster right now. It's taking a minute to load on, on the hotel Wi-Fi here, but that, that's just what I would, would remind you. 
Alejandro Maldonado once upon a time was Oregon's starting kicker. It doesn't mean he was good, but he was the starting kicker for a reason. Okay. There is a coach, Joe Lorig, the special teams coach, whose entire job is dedicated to making sure the special teams are the best they can possibly be. And the specialists have their own area to work at practice and they get evaluated constantly. And there has not been a change at place kicker. Luke Dunn had his first punt, I think, of the season, one of his first punts over the weekend because they thought stylistically he was better than Ross James. Thought he did a nice job. There are two other kickers on the roster, Grant Metters, who is a freshman from Bakersfield, California, and Andrew Boyle, who transferred in last year from Washington State and was the kickoff specialist and also, by the way, had issues kicking the ball out of bounds. I don't know why it's hard to not kick the ball out of bounds. I, I, I really don't, but it's putting the defense in a tougher spot. It's, a, it's essentially gifting the other team a first down. Instead of a touchback, which is out to the 25, or letting them return it, which often doesn't even reach the 25, the ball comes out to the 35-yard line. So that's a problem. This question came in from Balin, by the way. Hi, Spencer. Pod question. What exactly do you think is up with Camden Lewis? I personally think it's a mechanical issue as his kickoffs are consistently left and his field goals are always right. Obviously, the kicking operation is one of the most nuanced parts of the game, but the snaps and holds always look solid to us fans. So what do you think causes this weird regression? Curious as your thoughts. It's on this little piece of real estate between the ears. That's what it is. And, you know, I had no reason to doubt him. I actually felt confident in him going into that kick against Washington. And guess what? That has clearly shaken his confidence. I don't think there's any other explanation. I don't know if he would say that. I don't know if Dan Lanning would say that. But that seems pretty clear and obvious to me at this point in time. It rattled his confidence because he made, remember, a short, albeit, but still game-winning pressure kick on the road, hostile environment against Texas Tech. Absolutely nailed it. He misses that kick. We lose the game, and our playoff hopes are not currently alive. But when you see that kick, and he's admitted that he deleted social media because he got a bunch of nasty messages from from. Oregon fans, which is not helping the situation, and it's in his head. It's clearly in his head, and it's a tough place to get out of. You got to see a sports psychologist. Um, I do have one more thing for for today. Uh, I got to save a question from Rick Goodman for for tomorrow's show because we're running a little bit long here today. But uh, a number of you, including beginner Catholic, asked about the strength of schedule debate for Oregon as Oregon State hosts Washington this weekend in what is the biggest game of the week in college football, should have been college game day, ESPN, bunch of cowards. So who should Oregon want to win? Who, who do we want to win the game? One rival or, or the other? Some people may see it as a win-lose situation, but the answer is I don't care. That is the honest answer from the strength of schedule standpoint. I think from a clarity standpoint for the college football playoff, Oregon State makes it easier because, you know, again, a 12-1 and Pac-12 champion Oregon is getting in over a 12-1 and Washington team that is not a Pac-12 champion. I would think win on a neutral field conference championship. I'm like 99% sure about that. I'd be 100% sure, though, that, like, again, 99.99% sure, but I'm 100% sure that a two-loss Washington doesn't get into the playoff and, you know, couldn't sneak their way in there or anything like that. But from a strength to schedule standpoint, it doesn't matter. I, I really don't think it matters. 
if if Oregon State loses to Washington, as long as they don't get blown out, they're not going to drop below. They're not going to drop out of the top fifteen going into the game formerly known as the Civil War. So either Oregon has a chance. Like let let's say hypothetically, Oregon wins its next three games and goes or you know has a good resume to show the College Football Playoff Committee. It's either Arizona State and then a top fifteen win and a top five win, or Arizona State and back-to-back top 10 wins. I, 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 I do not believe that that is going to matter in a significant way. So I think you can honestly, from, from a rooting interest, you know, pick which rival you dislike more and say, I want that team to lose. Okay. I, I think that's completely valid because I don't think there's a huge difference between I mean, maybe I'd lean towards Oregon State winning. It'd be better. But again, beating an undefeated Washington would be as valuable as beating a top 10 Oregon State and a top 10 Washington that has one loss. I don't think it matters. If Oregon wins their next three games, they're into the college football playoff. Appreciate everyone listening. That was a mess. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.